0: Hello, folks. Hi. (laughs) It's really lovely to see you guys. Very much is. Um, Good. Well, a good morning from me. And uh, it's, oh, hi, guys. I just, I'm pleasantly surprised to still see some students. It's lovely to be with you in a core church time. For those of you who don't know, we have uh, what we call our core church, which is our, our all-year-round residence, the core of the church who... Um, who make up Kingdom Vineyard and are the pillars uh, all year round, and more church, which is those who aren't with us all year round, but when you're with us, uh, you swell our ranks and allow us to do more things. So I'm actually uh, delighted to see some more church faces, but really pleased uh, to be stepping into you uh, to a season of core church with you guys. Uh, I have something to say to you, core church, this morning. You'll be pleased to hear. It'd be pretty boring otherwise, wouldn't it? Some would say anyway. Um, Good. This morning's passage was due to be John chapter 16 verses 16 to 33, but instead I'm going to nod only to one or two verses in it because I want to give most of our time this morning to some things that I consider really important for Kingdom Vineyard at the moment, and there will be plenty of Bible coming later on too. The John passage we were meant to be digging into is the end of what's sometimes called the farewell discourse. Jesus' last words to his disciples before his famous prayer for his people in John 17. That's gonna be excellent. Jeremy's gonna unpack it for us splendidly next week. Uh, And then in John chapter 18, Jesus and his disciples enter the Garden of Gethsemane where the other gospels describe Jesus' anguished last prayers. Before Judas arrives with a mob, Jesus is arrested. That's where the trial begins, which leads to Jesus' crucifixion. So with that on the horizon, and Jesus, knowing what's immediately coming, the passage for today, John 16, 16, to 16 verses 16 to 36, are Jesus' last words of comfort, encouragement, and teaching to his precious disciples to prepare them for the very painful roller coaster ride to come. Time is so precious for the other message that I want to give uh, that we won't even read the John's Gospel extract together this morning. You can count that as homework. I invite you to do so. But I will observe a couple of things at it just before we do drop it. The passage, John 16, 16 to 36, is dripping with Jesus' love for his disciples. He is so keen to reassure them that, although they're about to be unbelievably broken, to weep and lament, verse 20 says, that their sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus' last words to them before his prayer in John 17 are, take heart, I have overcome the world, in verse 33. Take heart. The Greek word that we've translated take heart has a sense of have your heart warmed up from the inside. Be encouraged, be emboldened. Jesus isn't at all saying, there's nothing to worry about, lads. He's saying, despite the things around you, you can be emboldened because I have overcome all of the world and the problems within it. Jesus is so keen to reassure them. Even at the beginning of chapter 16, in verse 1, Jesus says, I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. Jesus is preparing them, seeking to protect them even when Jesus wasn't able to hold their hands through his own crucifixion and death. If you're interested in opposition and persecution, Morag spoke really well on this a couple of weeks ago, so I do encourage you to go and hear her talk on it. The message Jesus is trying to get across to his followers, his friends, in both that passage and this one is, I think, your sorrow will turn to joy. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the passage and the chapter of John 16 closes with Jesus saying this to his disciples, I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation or many trials, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And these are the last teachings of Jesus uh, that he gave to his disciples before the cross in John's Gospel. Take heart, I have overcome the world." That's what they had to hold on to. That and Jesus' words about sorrow turning into joy. I can't imagine they would have found it easy. In fact, as we read the Easter story, we find that the disciples didn't find it easy. In fact, they ran away to escape being arrested. They denied knowing Jesus. They hid, fearing for their lives. But they stayed together. They prayed together. And without wanting to spoil the surprise of next year's Easter Sunday for you, Jesus was faithful to his promise, and then some. So having naught but scratched the surface of that excellent passage, and only then to allow Jeremy to carry on beautifully into John 17 next week, I want to now shift focus and share with you a little of what's going on in Kingdom Vineyard at the moment. Guys, this is exciting. We are seeing glorious transformations exciting stories of people coming to know Jesus. I hope to share some of those with you in the next few weeks, but for now, let me just say that God is doing exciting things to break into people's lives, to show them he loves them, to free them from the traps traps and the bonds that the enemy had them in. God is doing great stuff among us, and I praise you, Lord, for that. Unsurprisingly, though, as God takes ground that belongs to the enemy, the enemy is pushing back. The Bible tells us really clearly, Jesus taught unmistakably, that there is an enemy, the devil or Satan. Jeremy also spoke really well on this recently, so add that to the long list of podcast homework if you want to hear more. The devil is not God's equal by no means, but we do find ourselves living in his territory. C.S. Lewis puts it as, behind enemy lines, and frankly, that makes us vulnerable. Jesus tells us that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This enemy is interested in wreaking havoc with humanity. And if God's aim with us is to reunite us to him in love and restoring fullness of life to us, then the enemy's goal is to disrupt that relationship out of spite against us and against God, to disrupt that love, to disrupt that life and restoration. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus puts it this way, the thief, referring to the devil here, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, says Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly or to the full. So I want to take this opportunity this morning, beloved church, to warn you that this warfare in the spiritual realm, is a reality. I mentioned a few weeks ago, not on the podcast, which you might remember if you were here, that amongst the miracles of God, meeting people and filling them with His Holy Spirit, setting them free of captivity, amongst these miracles of healing, maybe even because of these miracles of healing, and they're setting people free, we're starting to see what I think is pushback against the church and people in it, attempts to distract and to destroy members of our church. Without naming any names or situations, I wanna share with you that I'm seeing people in this church who are in key leadership positions getting hit by problems that are difficult, painful, and completely distracting from a strong, solid relationship with Jesus and the good stuff that God is doing. I'm seeing people in this church going through some really, really hard times where it might even be easy to wonder where God is in all of it. Now, not all of this will be spiritual. I don't suggest that every time something goes wrong, we shout, the devil did it. But the opposite, to say that, ah, that's just nonsense and none of it's caused by the devil, wouldn't be true either. Not least because the Bible is so clear that this is a reality of life. We had a, a prophetic word given at the prayer meeting this last week that the church is in the season of the wolf. The wolf. That's something I might not normally have shared with you, but I want to this morning in this context. The person who had that word from God didn't themselves have an interpretation for it. But to me, it fit clearly with what I'm seeing of how some people are going through some pretty nasty stuff amongst us in our flock. And so as pastor, it seems right for me to sound a warning to the flock. We've seen that the wolf is on the prowl in many of our lives. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, uses a similar metaphor for the devil, this time likening him to a lion, although the gist is the same. Stay alert or be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary or your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you've ever seen a predator eyeing up their prey on a classic Attenborough documentary, you'll see that they don't tend to go for the groups. It's a lot more hassle for them to try and scatter a group, to separate prey from a group and then catch one than it is to find one that's alone, isolated, and therefore not protected. Allow me to act as salesman for a moment and tell you that this bunch of people around you are great. I think we're pretty blessed with a really solid, solid, lovely church family full of lovely souls. And what's more, they're really great at inviting Jesus into situations. And so if you're going through it right now, or if you start to see signs that things are getting tough, get alongside some of them, start praying. When I talk about a wolf, I'm talking about the enemy. Just to clear this up, I'm not suggesting that there's a person amongst us to be wary of, far from it, I'm talking about a negative force from outside, I'm talking about the enemy that the Bible talks about. So don't go looking over your shoulder around here, except to look for someone lovely to pray with because this room's full of them. If we truly are sheep and the devil really is like a wolf, then we need the safety of the flock looking out for each other, providing a solid wall that makes us harder to attack. That and we need the shepherd. When the enemy rises up to come against us, we need to make sure that we are as well-protected, as well-focused as we can possibly be. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, the unfailing, immovable, powerfully protecting, self-sacrificing shepherd. Sheep huddling together for security is one thing, but huddling around a shepherd with a beer stick who has ultimate power and authority is quite another so as a sub shepherd of his if you like i want to tell you get to the shepherd so kingdom vineyard this is a call to arms but not me calling us to pick up weapons and fight our only weapon in the ephesians 6 chapter armor of god passage is the sword of the spirit the word of god The Word of God and the sword of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, do our fighting for us. So, our place, fellow sheep, is within the protection of the Good Shepherd and to be thoroughly filled up with the Word of God and with the Spirit of God. So, this is a call to arms, but it's a call to run into the Shepherd's arms. For God is our protector, as well as being the one who loves us like no other. Whatever else we trust in, Whatever we believe will protect us and our loved ones is nothing compared to the protection that he offers us. Even if you had a personal army protecting your house, your personal relationships were filtered through an anti-argument filter to make sure that you never fell out with anyone again. Your job was super secured with a triple lock. I would tell you that you need Jesus. I don't fully trust anything else. Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Those things, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Gentlemen and ladies, friends of Kingdom Vineyard, we need to be spending quality time with God. On your own throughout your day, in groups several times a week, Huddle up to the good shepherd, cuddle up to the good shepherd. Invite him into our lives afresh. The other thing we need to do is to make sure that our relationship with Jesus has no obstacles in it. No little corners of darkness that the enemy can use as permission to interfere in your life. Jesus' gospel, the message he preached was, repent, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right here, we can reach out and touch him. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. And God is so good that he answers us. You might have noticed his presence when we worship. But that means that we need to repent. We do need to turn away from the things in our lives that pull us away from God, even perhaps from apathy or from hesitation in our relationship with him. So, friends, for your well-being, again, I ask, would you repent? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want us to be utterly filled with the presence of God, filled with the presence and power of the shepherd in each of us as we cuddle up as close to him as we possibly can. I want us to take our sin seriously because it threatens our safety. It's that sneaky, secret, sideways sin in our lives that pulls us away from the flock that leaves our sides exposed, leaves our flanks outside the protection of Jesus and therefore leaves us vulnerable to the wolf. And I don't want any of it. Get it right with God and then let's get right into God. James puts it powerfully in chapter four, verses seven to eight of his book and gives us the spiritual protection consequences of lives lived purely in line with God. Starting at verse 6, God gives more grace. That's why it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, those of you who are double minded. Be wretched. Or let there be tears for what you've done and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is taking sin really seriously. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we resist this enemy's temptation, even resist his lies and his trickery, and if instead we cry, Jesus, come save me, fill me, draw me into you, then the enemy will have no choice but to move on from us. Or better, to flee from Jesus' presence as Jesus fills our lives. But there's no room for half measures. We need to be wholly given to Jesus. Jesus needs to be Lord and master of our hearts and lives. Otherwise, the enemy will retain his permission to act in our lives. That's why the repent bit is so truly important. And that's why verse 6 tells us to come to Jesus with absolute humility. Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for all of the sneaky double-minded stuff that I try and bolt into life alongside calling myself one of yours. I give you all that I am. Use me how you want to, Lord. And let nothing that I think of myself be an obstacle to you being solely and completely in charge of all that I have and all that I am. He loves you, you know. God isn't just a brutal military dictator. It's not that we have to submit to him because he's the boss. He's the father who handcrafted you. And despite the spiritual, the serious spiritual danger that we find ourselves in in this world, he came in after us to offer us the full restoration to his original intimate design for us. In First uh, Peter chapter five, Peter quotes that same uh, opposing the proud verse, which is from Proverbs 3:34, if you're interested. Uh, where are we at? Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxiety. Oh, hang on. Have we watched? Yeah, we've missed one now. Don't worry. I'll read it from here. Uh, So that he may exalt you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Verse eight says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you and he'll place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever, amen. That's 1 Peter 5, 5 to 11, those of you who are taking notes. I have no intention of holding back from following Jesus wherever he leads me or wherever he leads us, especially especially if obediently following him means more people meeting Jesus who otherwise wouldn't. Our gospel is too good not to share. And besides, he wants it shared. He wants the world set free to be restored to him. And he's done the hard work. Spiritually, we're covered by the cross if we accept it and choose his protection. We are gifted through the cross and resurrection a relationship with Father God that is beyond our wildest dreams. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us... Think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good work, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hebrews 10:19 to 25 might just have been the sermon today. It's beautiful and absolutely right for what I want to say today. So I have three practical applications that I want to leave you with from the last three verses of that passage. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we, or, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised us faithful. He is good and he is for us and he is faithful and sometimes we need to remember that to stop amidst everything else going on in our lives and give him focus, to hold tightly to him. And sometimes we need to help each other to remember that, to help out our fellow sheep by saying, hey, you look confused, Jesus is that way. (laughs) Let's go back to the shepherd. This also means worshiping with our whole selves. Let me encourage you that Sundays, are not enough that I think each of us needs to be in a home group we have two core church home groups at the moment soon to be three to get into one of them and also that giving tithing is an important part of each of our personal relationships with God yes it allows the church to do what we do but actually it's an important part of each of our relationships with God let there be no division among us which says this part of me belongs to Jesus but not this part Let us hold tightly to Jesus with all of ourselves for our protection from the enemy and for the joy of being that close to Jesus. So verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. (laughs) Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Two different versions of the ESV making this morning really fun, thanks Phil. We need each other, more so when we're under threat than at any other time. Let us be looking out for each other, praying for each other, and indeed, encouraging each other to be serving God, making our lives and our energies justify and flesh out our claim that we belong to him. Verse 25 then, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. I've already said it, but it's so important, I'll say it again, get into a home group. If you're in one, make sure you get to it. Jesus, the shepherd, is our best defense, and meeting together to get as close to him as we can, as his flock, is our best way of receiving his protection. I need the prayers of my home group. I need the rhythm of my week of studying the Bible together with my home group. I need the people who are getting to know me well enough to say, Jim, are you all right this week? To make sure that I'm kept safely in the flock. And I suspect you do too. We need prayer. So come get some up here when I invite people for prayer in a moment. Message people in your home group or in the church and say, let's get together and pray for an hour this week and get to a home group and say to your home group leader, I think we should pray more. I'm quite pleased, actually, that uh, a message as heavy as this, for which I don't quite apologize, is falling in a time when I'm addressing Core Church. I'm going off script here. Core Church, your name is reflecting the fact that we consider you to be the center, the pillar, the core muscles of the kingdom vineyard. I love it when we're filled Uh, We filled this room with people and we've got 120, 140 people here. But really, Core Church, uh, we're looking to you all year round to be the strength of Kingdom Vineyard, to be those who are mentoring those who are coming in, to be those who are pointing the way. So Core Church, if I have to address a message this heavy, this challenging to anyone, I want it to be to you. I want you to hear the value that I place, that Rachel and I together place in you. So Core Church, let's take this opportunity to get serious with Jesus. Let's let God set the agenda, not the world, not worries about career or finances or how we look on social media. Let's count important the things that God values. This is a call to arms, a call to the open arms of the shepherd who wants to give you his love and protection. This is a heavy message. And yet, I want to be honest with you. I want to point out that there is a danger at the moment. And as your pastor and as your friend, I want to see all of us together, not just safe, but flourishing in Jesus. Or, in other words, to quote John 16:33, This morning, I have said these things to you so that in Jesus, you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. He has overcome the world. Why don't you stand? I would love to pray for you. So this morning, if you feel the need for protection in your life, for spiritual protection, then come forward for prayer. If you feel the need to repent to apologize to God, to make sure that you are squeaky clean with him, to push out the corners of darkness that maybe have crept in. Come forward for prayer. If you don't yet know God, and you want that relationship with him, that protection, that change of management in your own life, where Jesus is your new Lord, come forward for prayer, and some of these lovely people will pray for you. Father God, I ask your blessing. I ask your protection. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to praise you for this church, for the faithful and beautiful souls that make it up. I'm so grateful, Lord, and I ask for more of you, in our life together, as your body, in our individual lives, come, Holy Spirit. Would you even now Lord be um, showing your blessing, showing the soft, gentle, delightful touch of your love in people's hearts? Would you be even now bringing conviction? Would you be pointing out in people's lives things that they just need to get right with you so that we can know you without obstacles? More of you, Lord.